Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you for downloading. My name is Pete Wright, and I'm sitting here with Dane Christensen. Hello. And Megan Strand. Hey there. And we are uh, the Naked Marketers. Uh, once again, another show, another week, another show. How are you guys doing? Awesome. I'm kind of down. Hi, <gasps> Dane. You no, are? I'm just kidding. I'm just. Aw, Dane's never down. No, no I'm not. Really. Har- harbinger <laughs> of happiness is Dane. <laughs> I wanted to shake it up. No you just wanted to just down. tell that the truth. Nice of you. I'm kind of feeling. You. I'm feeling low. Feeling low. <sighs> well, we have a lot to talk about. Actually, we have a great interview coming up. I'm so excited about this. I uh, Our interview coming up later in the show is uh, uh, the good Mr. Scott Porad. Scott is a chief technology officer for Cheeseburger Networks. If you uh, if you are an avid fan of uh, uh, I Can As Cheeseburger or Fail Blog uh, or There I Fixed It um, or Fail Book or I, I don't know. I think if you look at the humor sites on the net, uh, seven out of ten of them are run by the Cheeseburger Network. Uh, they are uh, the uh, arbiters of funny. And uh, Scott's going to join us to talk about how uh, technology and communications work together at Cheeseburger and how they are agile and community builders and uh, all sorts of great stuff uh, when he joins us a little bit later in the show. Uh, so I'm very, very excited that Scott has uh, given up some of his time to join us. For now, though, we have news to talk about. Uh, what is the What do we have to talk about today, Megan? Oh, I don't think I should lead off. I think, um, you know, anything having to do with things like Apple and the iPad should be discussed by you. Oh, so please. I think we were going to talk about iAd first, and I want you to talk about that. Oh, okay. Well, oh, okay. okay, so iAd. No, this is actually, I mean, this is an interesting thing. So uh, two weeks ago when the, um, um, oh gosh, maybe it was last uh, a week ago when uh, Steve Jobs came out on stage and introduced iPhone OS 4 to the developers um, uh, and the media, uh, for the, the upcoming ver- uh, uh, iPhone operating system that's due to hit this summer. He also announced a new advertising platform called iAd, um, which, uh, you know, in addition to being another in a long line of unfortunate names, uh, beginning with an I from the company, what they, what they have done in essentially one fell swoop is, is uh, insinuate themselves, this, themselves meaning Apple, into a massive, massive display ad network that just sort of happened uh, overnight, overnight over the last three years, I should say. And we're now starting to see some of the, uh, uh, some of the platform specifics that are hitting, uh, hitting the streets. Now the first uh, that I've come across is uh, uh, from uh, Hill Holiday, uh, advertising agency uh, Hill Holiday, which is, uh, wrote up, has written up a, a wonderful blog post about their meeting with the Apple iAd team. The iAd team came in and, and showed off some of the great uh, advertising technology, talked about their philosophy, which I think is really interesting. The philosophy of the iAd uh, network is to, uh, is to increase the emotional interaction with an advertising uh, with a particular advertising um, uh, unit. So, uh, uh, you know, so you have a, a greater feel for it. It's more engaging. It's more interactive. You can poke and touch and, and interact with ads at a different level. Now, what we're hearing is in, it's, it's not just, uh, you know, uh, to compete with 
the existing ad networks that have already insinuated themselves into the developer's hands uh, on the iPhone, the iPad platform. This is really to elevate it and make it more expensive. Apparently, it is a premium, premium product, and, and uh, that should be uh, that is something that they really want to to get advertisers uh, uh, comfortable with. That if they want to be advertising with the Apple branded ad platform, they got to be willing to pay. Well, and aren't the aren't isn't Apple giving a percentage of the revenue back to the developers? Yeah, uh, it's a it's like most of these things, it's a split. Uh, currently, for application developers on every app sale, it's a 70-30 split. For the iAd network, it's a similar thing. It's down to 60-40. Uh, so Apple will take 40% share of, of, um, of revenue from the, um, uh, from the developers who choose to use iAd in their apps. And I, I'm curious. I, I, um I think on the one hand, as advertisers, you get excited about the opportunity to reach people. I think as uh, developers, uh, app developers, maybe you get excited about new ways to get an application um, out there and make it successful. Maybe you know you're more likely to give something away or lower the price, perhaps get get it in the hands of more people because you can offset it with advertising. But as a user, uh, do either of you have any concern about the what appears to be the um, uh, the onset of uh, a just a boom in mobile advertising maybe af affecting your user experience yes and no i'm um they made a point in this blog post and that you're right peter so it's a really good post um about how traditionally uh you know ads are really flat and just kind of pop out at you and are just this little random text ad um, or banner ad which um I've actually gotten several push notification ads on my phone from apps and promptly deleted them. You know, like little free doodle buddy app I download for my kids is sending me push notification ads. And I'm like, bye-bye, you know, that's not, and that's not cool. But their point is these ads will be um, different, not just a flat push notification text message ad, you know, that, and so I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat wary, but I'm excited to see what they're going to do. <laughs> Because yeah. I think they're going to be forced to add value. I think it's, I think they're going to be forced to, um, um, and we could talk about this more when we talk about Twitter advertising. But um, I think they're going to be forced to do something a little different. Well, I, I think as a as a, uh, you know, a point, it, what I add is aiming to to bring to the table are not advertisements, but uh, interactive ad apps. I mean, these are functional applications that exist inside a a Apple's ad network, and to that point. Apple is going to be building these applications for advertisers, at least initially, and it looks like later, you know, down the road, they'll they'll release an API um, for uh, you know for outside developers to build applications that will then, like everything else in the Apple ecosystem, have to be approved by the iAd team. That's a that's a fascinating thing because it's mm -hmm. now that means that this isn't just about hiring a graphic designer to do a banner ad for you. This is about yeah. hiring, you know, user experience people who can create, you know, interactive experiences that will engage people. And Apple is gonna, you know, a Apple's going to be the arbiter of cool when it comes to high end applications. This goes back to the Super Bowl. You know, people there is a large body of the consumer viewing public that watches the Super Bowl for the ads. Uh, well, I think Apple wants to shoot for them. They want right. to shoot for the Super Bowl ad viewers. But, you know, here's what life seems like to me. It seems like, you know, we're born and, uh, you know, we want, uh, we need food. And, you know, so the nature of life, you know, we, we're looking for 
maybe status at some point, a mate, um, sex, you know, we're driven by these things. It also seems like one of the other things that's true of our entire life is we're trying to avoid advertising and advertisers are trying to trick us into watching advertising. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I don't think we are all inherently trying to avoid advertising. I think we're <laughs> sick of stupid advertising <laughs> and most of it is stupid. I I like great ads. I like great ads that try to do different things. You do, but that's what you do for a living. I don't think I'm alone there. I mean, you find a really good ad or a short film or you, uh, you know, where, where really the advertisers have taken time to, cr okay, let's, I, I'm dying to get the, please get me started on this. I'm dying to get the guys who did the <laughs> look at your man uh, uh, ad oh from Wyden and Kennedy. Wyden and Kennedy put a boatload of work into this ad and it started from creative and it, it went to, uh, uh, you know, you, who was, I can't even remember the company. What was the company? <laughs> That's it awful. was Old Spice. That's Old Spice, exactly right. The no. Boy right no there. I had it in my head. I had even <laughs> the logo in my you. head. <laughs> You're a, now you don't know the people. All right, listen. You you look at an ad like that. I've watched that ad a thousand times. I you know, it's, I haven't had enough coffee this yeah, morning. Let's normal. blame that. <laughs> it is a brilliant ad. It is a funny viral ad and I would watch I love that their again Old and Spice again. Campaigns. Come on. So you get you get companies who are willing to take risks like that. Right. This is they not have a because otherwise you're going to avoid their ad. And that's, that's what, what I ad is trying to do. I know. I'm. That's. I'm just talking about the meaning of life. The boys and how, are fighting. How the boys are fighting. To our whole lives. This is so that's great. Oh, From Maslow's please. hierarchy <laughs> to the Old Spice ads to boy fights. Look at this your man. This is going to be the best now look at episode me. ever. Now look at your man. I. <laughs> Uh, we got to get those guys on the, oh on the show. Okay. okay. Well, right, anyway, so on, uh, I think this is clearly Dane. Can, uh, I, can I do? Can I do the next news yes, item? Please. This is a democratic process. Of I, news, I can't right? even talk. I can't even talk to you. This is sort of right like now. if you were watching the evening news and the anchors just kind of debated, <laughs> who's going to do the next one? <laughs> <laughs> What's the next story? Okay, That's Dane, all right. It's all you. Okay. Well, there's two reasons I want to talk about this story. One is because I want to talk about it, and two because I think it's a good segue into Pete uh, giving us a little bit of background into how he's making changes to yes. his blog and oh, life. Right, right. So uh, announcement uh, recently that Google uh, Google has launched Twitter archive search. Um, so uh, as most people know, um, tweets don't really last forever. You can't really go into your favorite celebrity. Uh, let's think. Uh, does Pam Anderson tweet? I've never checked that one out. But oh, anyway, you, you, can't, you can't go back. Well, whatever she has to say is just going to be fascinating. You, you can't go back to a year ago and find out what she was talking about on Twitter. So Google is archiving all of the uh, Twitter activity. What's and, and so you could maybe come up with all kinds of reasons you think that's either worthless news or really interesting. I think it might be really interesting. Um, and, and here's a little component to it. You can do it by date. So you can look back in time. For instance, you can go back to um, the night uh, Obama was elected and what were the tweets all about? That might be interesting to, yeah. as, a, as an archive, right? I mean, it, so there might be historical value to this. You also might want to go back to um, a seminar or a symposium that you were at where there was a lot of Twitter activity commenting on um, you know, the things that were being said. Uh, and I've been to a few conferences like that where I thought, wow, the Twitter activity is really enhancing this entire experience. Well, now you'd have the opportunity to go back and and reread those things. I think that's cool. It, yeah. You know, I think it's it's um, I think it's in in part related also that I think on the same day uh, it, the uh, Library of Congress 
-hmm. announced that they are acquiring the entire Twitter archive. Uh, and, and so beyond search that Google is enabling through, you know, actively indexing all the Twitter archives, uh, the Library of Congress is going to take it on, I mean, a number of tweets in the billions since 2006, and they're going to be analyzing all of your tweets. Uh, I just love that know. the Library of Congress has its own feed, and they have 50,000 50, followers. 50,000 followers. People, pe that's, that's cool. You know, they Good for have them. smart followers. Good for them. I yeah, bet let's check. Let's, let's do. exactly. Let's do, do it. Well, stupid off. Okay, uh, so, uh, the, so the story about... This this all comes out really three days too late for me because um, I, I have been <laughs> thinking about this for a long time and it's very frustrating when you tweet a lot and you you post a lot of stories and and links that you want that you know I I wanted to keep part of the reason I post them on Twitter is because I'm I'm interested in them and I I want to go back to them from time to time in addition to sharing them with my friends and uh, I realized uh, you know only too late that Twitter itself does not keep archives of uh, tweets that they you you can't go search you know all your old tweets. They must keep them, but they don't publish. R right, they're not published. That's right. So that's the that's the the trick is that I can't go back and find you know my first tweet from two years ago, three years ago. That was very frustrating. So now you know what the change that I made. You know, I my blog at fifthandmain.com was you know essentially cut off from the orbit of my Twitter feed, and so I just wrapped everything back into my blog. So now. I, uh, you know, I post all these links into a new category on my website, uh, and uh, and so that becomes my news feed, and then I republish that news feed through some wizardry at Hootsuite, uh, which allows you to republish to, you know, Twitter and Facebook, uh, you know, company fan pages and Facebook profiles and LinkedIn, uh, the contents of a specific RSS feed. So this is getting a little bit geeky, but if you imagine from my website now, I post once, and all of that content gets rerouted through my Facebook page, my Twitter feed, uh, Facebook fan page, and LinkedIn, all without me actually having to do any of the work. And since most of the discussion, you know, doesn't happen on my blog, it happens on, um, you know, on Twitter or on Facebook. That that makes that workflow very very easy. Well, the the you know, from a results standpoint, of course, you know, once people on Twitter are clicking on links that go back to my site, my my own traffic went up about three or four times over the course of about uh, two days. Yeah. Um, rather than clicking directly on the links to the sites I'm posting, they, they post back to my site, which is a little bit frustrating. I don't like it when other sites do that to me. But, <laughs> but really, self-servingly, I, I wanted to keep an archive of these posts, and that was important yeah. to me. Um, we're doing the same thing on the NakedMarketers.com for our show notes. Any link that we talk about in the show, we post in the show notes category, which gets pushed out to Twitter and Facebook from our site. So, But that's different because we're, that's a resource for yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we want to keep is, a, is a, an online archive resource that doesn't that isn't at the whim of somebody else that really exactly. is is you know at the whim of me man keeping the database clean so well um speaking of twitter let's talk about their promoted tweets yeah another new ad platform right yeah Yay. just came out this week what do um, we think what do we think about twitter tweet well, what is what does it mean let's explain tweets? it i mean it's um essentially tweets uh, they're existing tweets right that advertisers can pay to appear at the top of search results um, and they'll be they'll, it will indicate that they're it'll say a little thing like promoted by Starbucks it'll be highlighted that it's a essentially a paid sponsorship um, so it'll rise to the top of search but the cool thing is that it's not guaranteed to stay there 
um, if it doesn't track well, um, it, what Twitter is calling resonance with the consumers, it's going to be pulled. And then, um, so it's really sort of consumer driven. So it's while advertisers can get it up there, if it's not popular and it's not adding value, it won't stay, and the advertiser doesn't pay. So th this will be a really interesting thing to watch. I mean, this yeah. is this is a uh, you know this is one of those moments in history. Exactly. <laughs> so, it's so feeling very historic this week. I have isn't to it? say. Yeah. It is. I, I I start a new marketing class I'll be teaching in a month. <gasps> oh, and, so uh, you're going to be chock full. You're going to have yeah. I mean, this stuff is so fascinating. The it, news. I mean, Twitter, um, you know, has had no. Uh, <laughs> Like no, no, like revenue model uh, to date, um, and I, what I think is interesting is that it, it appears here that they've kind of hand selected I, um, the companies that are running the initial ads. We've got big names like Best Buy, Virgin America, Starbucks, Bravo. I, I don't think they're letting you know every sort of um, you know bail bondsman in the country jump onto this thing initially, and <laughs> and then and then they're gonna um, yeah they're gonna monitor it and they're more or less saying we don't know if this is going to work We're, we have some assumptions but uh we what we don't want to do is ruin twitter so we're going to exactly. take this carefully we're going to monitor it and if it works it does we're going to we, we plan on tweaking but we're not exactly sure how when or why it's it's interesting because you know and evan williams uh the f founder ceo i think now he's a ceo again of of twitter he stood up and, and really when he pitched promoted tweets he didn't pitch it as a service, and I thought that was interesting. He pitched it as a, uh, really as a feature of Twitter. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an interesting twist, mostly because if anybody who is a, a, a you know, a Twitter user there, who doesn't use the website, and, and from a mobile perspective, since most tweeting is happening on mobile phones, I think there are a lot of folks who are using third-party applications. This is a very normal model. I mean, if you use Tweety, if you use you know TweetDeck, I think any of the Twitter clients that have a free or a light version of their software, you can either get inline ads, and Tweety is the one that comes up you know in my mind because that's you know I use that one occasionally, and and it. Uh, uh, you know, there are inline ads that are totally unobtrusive. They're, you know, high quality through the deck uh, uh, platform, and, and they're great. They're inline ads. I think, in a way, Twitter is just sort of offering this to corporate sponsors, really, you know, pitching it as a, f as a, uh, as a feature. Uh, it makes a lot of sense uh, to take advantage of a market, again, an ad market that already exists. The parallel between iAds is is really very good. That that Apple and Twitter are both stepping into an advertising ecosystem that has already been created on their own platforms. Right. So will you? This will only be seen on the Twitter.com. On Twitter.com right Twitter now. Com? I don't think these ads are being served into the feeds. Let me see. I'm it says it well, says later the they plan. They yeah. Because they're tweets, right? They'll first Sorry, be in search results, later in user feeds, both on Twitter.com and third-party clients, such oh, as right. later so in user feeds. So they're supposed to be tweets, but they're not really tweets. They're well, like they're, they're at the top. Flats. If you go into, if you go to Twitter.com and search for Starbucks right now in the search box, I'm the the Starbucks promoted ad will show up at the top of the feed. And even as new posts come in, if you keep clicking, you know, to bring up more tweets that ad stays right at the top so it's not actually inserted and flow with the with the other tweets it it's a permanent spot right at the top of your search yeah that, that's kind of the initial vision is that it'll be uh, it'll show up only in search results but that what they're hoping is that um, 
people see it and retweet it. Yeah. And and then it becomes part of the user feed. So if if a, a company, I'm imagining that what they're you know, their sort of their primary vision is probably discounts or something like that, something specific to Twitter that has some value that you might say, yeah. you know, hey, I, I want all my friends to be aware of this, you know, special savings. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's an entry into, you know, it, it, it's an opportunity to pay to get to get into the viral channel. And, you know, I wonder what, you know, what percentage of, you know, Twitter posts every day are advertising already just not promoted by Twitter, oh yeah you know, actually I mean, yeah yeah right right you know that that whole uh sort of uh <laughs> what do you call it i don't know if it's an underground but that you know you can make a certain amount of money per tweet and basically right. you know you can type all day long companies are sort of outsourcing to to uh yeah. freelance contractors to to and somebody might have a hundred companies that they tweet for on a regular basis right, yeah right anyway that is uh, that's the new Twitter ad network, so it's something worth watching, and uh, and we'll see how it plays out. Uh, what else do we have to talk about? Um, I think we were going to talk about um, this study about the value of a fan in social media mm -hmm. as three dollars and sixty cents. Okay, so what do you think about? Do this? you want to talk about this? So um, this was a social media specialist, Vitru. Um, and they did a survey, um, and they determined that on average, a fan base of 1 million people translates into at least 3.6 million in equivalent media over a year. Um, so I guess my take on this is that, uh, A, it's completely subjective and uh, probably varies greatly from company to company, and they're just essentially comparing how much traditional media it would purchase like they're comparing what the impressions are oh if you have a fan then they see they get one more impression a day and it just seems like they're measuring oranges when they when we're talking about apples you know it, yeah I, I i think this little metric is in my opinion totally irrelevant and, and it seems like a pr well, i'm stunt. excited to hear you why you think that dane well <laughs> i think one of the biggest reasons is what megan said <laughs> comparing company to company i mean there might be a company uh who each customer to them is worth Five thousand grand, let's say. You know, let's say five five thousand grand. <laughs> Are you measuring in chocolate? I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna step it up a little bit here. <laughs> Are you? Let's Are you gonna bring your A game? Is that what we have to look forward to next? No more five thousand dollar grand <laughs> comments for me. Okay. So, and then somebody else, a customer is worth five dollar grand dollars. <laughs> Sorry, five. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick up I'm gonna kick it up a notch here. Um, so then you say, okay, so a fan is worth uh, across the board three dollars and sixty four cents. Well, no, they're not, and and you might it might be a lot more valuable to some companies to have only thirty fans. They really might um, fifty people who actually follow them. They may have some little community that th they have one platform to communicate with. I don't think everybody's out to get the highest number possible because that number calculated or, or multiplied by a dollar figure, you know, someone can run in and say, look, hey, we figured it out. We found, you know, the value of a fan. Now let's get as many fans as possible. I just don't think yeah. that's the game we're playing. Well, you know, yeah. and I think the problem is that it's, you know, people are so desperate to put a number on social media that what this does, and I'm sure it's been done in the past. I just haven't really seen a whole lot of it, but they're relating it to, 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 to traditional media buys. Um, so, you know, Starbucks, 6.5 million fan base, 
is worth 23.4 million in media annually. So they're kind of making this weird, they're trying to put a number on social media by comparing it with traditional media and impressions and things like that. And I just don't, like I said, I don't there's, know. What yeah, do you think? There's there's no normalizing like data point. I, I think you're exactly right. Oh, I'll be right. interested I, to hear how, how how where you're coming from on that, Pete. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was being honest about you because you're the data guy. I'm not the data guy. That was a no. I I, I actually meant that as a, a point of respect, Dane. Oh, big I, shot. That was no, I. Uh, I <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's this, this is a boardroom bullet point. It's like not even worth talking about much more just because it's something that that a Agreed. consultant says in a boardroom Agreed. when they say here's a bullet of how much our research has shown that uh you know it's worth three dollars and sixty cents as consultants we got our arms wrapped around these numbers now. yeah exactly right. yeah, now exactly. that means we can do something with it well what uh you know the big i, I think the big story around uh around the value of a fan does not happen with brands yet i don't think we we have enough data to know what the value of a fan is worth to brands what we do know is the value of a fan to individual celebrities like you look at people who are really cultivating right. their fan base and you can really see that when you know when robert scoble moves from you know uh wherever i think business week or wherever he was to rack space people follow him not right. the company and, right and that there is value there i mean you want to pay him commensurate to uh what you know what his fan base is worth by their engagement and i just don't think we we have enough information on engagement of companies yet well um, and i think that's an interesting point because these are people who traditionally have fans and readers and that's right. what matters you know if you're a celebrity you want to have the greatest amount of right. fans so it translates really easily into social media because literally you can have fans i mean it's and because you know, you and know followers is pretty much the same thing yeah, but exactly but and i think part of the problem is that you know when you're an individual cr content creator it's easy to to kind of gauge what people want to read from you they follow you for a reason uh, you know, I don't know what I want out of Starbucks. What I want is coffee from Starbucks. You know, <laughs> I, I, I want to go get coffee. I, I still don't know what, you know, I don't feel like I, I, like they've given me any social media content or tweets beyond, you know, the occasional coupon that I happen to find. Uh, that is adding great value to me. So but I'm not a fan. you go in today and bring a reusable mug and get free coffee. See, I know that because we're covering it. I wouldn't That's care right. otherwise. Yeah, I know. Good point. And by the time this podcast is broadcast, yeah, that'll be have no value to anybody. It'll have, this whole conversation will be worth zero dollars. Grand. Oh, awesome. Zero grand dollars. Zero grand. <laughs> Well, this has been an illuminating conversation. I think we should bring on smart people now. What do you think? Let's yes, do it. Let's please. do it. Raise up the smart level Raise up of this the show. smarts. Our guest on the show today is Scott Porad, Chief Technology Officer of the Cheeseburger Network. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Pete. Uh, I uh, met you briefly at WordCamp Portland last year and was very struck by your uh, your background on cheeseburger and how you guys do what you do. First of all, it's a fascinating company, and and uh, uh, I'll point all of our listeners as you're listening to this. Bring up cheeseburger. Let's see. Let me make sure I make it right. It's cheeseburger.com. That's cheese with a Z. Burger.com slash sites, and you can get a full menu of of uh, a full catalog of all the sites run by Cheeseburger, and and uh, the, just prepare to lose a day. There is just a lot of funny, <laughs> a lot of funny on this site. Uh, I was really fascinated, uh, Scott, by your discussion of how 
cheeseburger is built technically and how you respond to the market. So I hope we're going to be getting into into those questions. But what I where I would very much like to start is is to have you give us some background on the company and and uh, and and how it is you do what you do. Okay. Uh, so Cheeseburger is a network of humor and entertainment websites. We have about 40 or 50 sites. We launch a new site just about every week. Uh, our strategy is to invest as little as we can to get a site up and going, uh, to see if people find it funny and if, and if a community of people build up around the site. And if it does and it works, then we continue to invest in it. And if it doesn't, then we don't. It's sort of the classics, throw the spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks type of strategy. And all of our sites, like I said, they're humor and entertainment content. They're primarily image and video content. And what separates them from a lot of the other humor and entertainment sites across the web is that they are all user-submitted content, meaning that the community of people who visit the site are the people contributing the content is the first thing. And the second thing is that it's all user-moderated content. So the community of people is going every day and voting on things that are submitted and it's the things that are that are most highly voted, which are then broadcast back to the audience every day. Can you talk a little bit more specifically about how you get, how you figure out that there is a community that exists around a, a particular topic? That was my question. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question, and it's actually a pretty straightforward answer. The, the very first metric, the easiest metric to use is, are there submissions? So for instance, we once, we once launched a site about pandas, and nobody submitted pictures or video of pandas because presumably, I guess, now that you think about it, they're hard to come by. <laughs> and um, there's a big uh, World Wildlife Wildlife Federation uh, contingent, and that's about it, right? <laughs> that's about it. So, if you if you don't have people who think this content is funny enough, or who can find it in their everyday lives and are willing to contribute it, it that that's the whole engine to the whole system. Um, so the first thing is 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 whatever topic we're addressing, whether it's weddings or food or clothes or, you know, fails or whatever we're doing, um, is there a community? Is there is there submissions around? Is there a community of people who who will submit the content? And then the two other things that we look at that are very closely related to it are pretty obvious, which are comments or people interacting with each other and um, and the content on the site. And then voting, meaning do people care enough to come and give their opinion to say whether they think something's good or bad? And then, of course, there's all, obviously always the baseline, which is you know page views and unique visitors, which is simply your people showing up. Uh, but those are the metrics we use. And uh, you know we have a team of moderators who launch sites and work with those communities, and they interact with the people who are there through the comment boards and and find out if people like the content or don't like the content. And I tell you that. You know, the voting is a real key because it gives us a clue of, you know, oh, well, people who are coming to this site like this or don't like this or they don't care about anything, right? Uh, one of the things we've learned is that it's better to, um, you know, lots of yes votes and lots of no votes is, is better, you know, or I phrase it differently. Lots of no votes is better than no votes at all because at least it shows right. that people care about uh, so, a little bit of engagement. So those are some of the metrics we look at to decide if, you know, something's working. So it, it seems like you're you you would have to be uh, fairly calculated in the sites. If you're launching a site a week, 
I mean, I'm looking at the site's uh, catalog here. That's extremely impressive, but it seems like you also have to be pretty catalog or ca uh, calculated about the sites that you don't or that you can. I mean, how, uh, how frequently do you close down a site or roll it into something else, another property? Uh -oh. I'd say roughly it's like a uh, three-thirds. Um, we have a third of sites that are successful, a third that are sort of in the middle that are just you know chugging along and we haven't decided what if they're going to be successful or not yet and then roughly say a third maybe a little less more like 20 percent that just sort of don't work and we and we shut them down or more often what we do is we sort of uh revision them so a, a great example i like to give is the site we have called wedinator which is about weddings and we probably launched that site two or three times trying to just find the right angle of the content that people enjoy um you know it's I think some of the first attempts at it were just not, I, the way I like to describe it is it was too much laughing at people as opposed to laughing with people. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, you know, what we'll do is we'll take it down or we'll try and we'll try and adjust it or, or tweak it. Or sometimes we launch one, like we had a site, we tried to do something based on Wikipedia. We called it 140pedia. It was sort of Wikipedia, but every, every page was only 140 characters. And... Uh, which kind of was funny because you had to sort of take these subjects and consolidate them down very brief. And, uh, and it just didn't work. You know, it, it couldn't get an audience. We tried to tweak it a few different ways and it just, it never happened. So we shut it down. So I would guess also that some of your new sites generate organically from little spinoffs um, that are, that are happening that you see happening on existing sites. Is that the case? Absolutely. I would say, I would say most of them. I'm reminded of a, t you remind me of a time, one of the first times this happened, so, you know, one of our biggest sites is FailBlog, and FailBlog I always like to describe as pictures and video of things that didn't quite go right. And uh, so one of the moderators who works on FailBlog uh, swung by one day. I was sitting with Ben and uh, says, hey, guys, you know, I'm always getting these pictures to FailBlog, and they're not fails, but they're something. And uh, his name was Brian, and, and we said to Brian, well, you know, could you show us a few of them? And he, he put together an email. He sent us about 20 of them that people had submitted. And we looked at it, and in an instant, we knew exactly what it was. It was a site that we launched. We called it Picture is Unrelated, which is sort of a mouthful. And I always like to describe this site as pictures that you can describe but you can't explain. Um, you know, why is this person standing with a bunny rabbit in his underpants looking out the windows with a set of binoculars? Or, you know, <laughs> what is this person doing with, you know, you know, playing the piano in the middle of a lake. Um, and so people had been submitting these to fail blogs, and they were sort of a version of fail. They were like sort of confusion, you know, cognitive dissonance kind of fail. And uh, and so it was just like, boom, you saw a group of, you saw a group of 20 of these pictures together, and you were like, you know, snapped your fingers, and that was a sight. You knew it instantly. Um, so cool. you're, you're exactly right, Megan. There's lots of times, um, you know, one grows out of another. A lot have grown out of fail blog just because we get so many submissions. Uh, for instance, one of the sites we have that's really popular is called uh, That Will Buff Out, which is basically car fail or auto fail. <laughs> uh, another site that's called uh, There I Fixed It, which, which is, is sort priceless. Of, it's, it is priceless. It's sort of um, home repair and engineering oh fail. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, and all, you know, these, are, these ones I'm rattling off right now are sort of sites that did grow off fail blogs. Uh, for instance, out of I Can't Have Cheeseburger, we've had sort of a a group of cute sites grow out of that. Uh, I think we had a site called um, The Daily Squee, which is sort of like, I think of it as puppies and kittens. Um, 
and uh, other sites have grown out of I can't have cheeseburger as well. Obviously, I have a hot dog grew out of I can't have cheeseburger. So you know, I can't have cheeseburger is about cats. I have a hot dog is about dogs. What's your What's the most uh, popular site on the network right now? Uh, Fail blog is probably the most popular site on the network. The, the four biggest sites on the network, roughly speaking, are I can't have cheeseburger, Fail blog. Uh, very demotivational, which is sort of the opposite of motivational posters, <laughs> which is it's just a priceless site. It gets a little cool sometimes, actually. And uh, the fourth one is a site we launched within in 2010 called Failbook, and it's sort of Facebook fail. And uh, it's, oh man, it's, it's really terrific. It's it's people basically, you know, people will take a screenshot of something they see on Facebook and send it to us, and. Um, it's just terrific. Yeah, how, it's just, terrific. How, just a, an aside. How do how do you get anything done during the day? I, I mean, I, I I I open up one of these sites and I get lost for an hour. <laughs> and you guys are, well, are inventing it. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like drinking beer or anything else. You have to build up a call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the answer is, you know, we do. There will be times when we get to get really distracted, and we joke a lot around here about, you know, ADD, and um, which isn't a great thing to make fun of because a lot of people really do have ADD. But uh, you know, we'll be looking at a site talking about the design of it or something, and then all of a sudden we'll just kind of get lost in yeah. looking at the content. So it is a, you know, it's a, it's a wee bit of a challenge. Uh, but you know, the other there's this other thing, which is our company motto is. Uh, to make everybody happy five minutes a day. So if you can poke into a site here and there every day for a few minutes and get a little bit out of it and then uh, go back to work, that's that's the model we're pushing people towards. Or so Scott, a quick, quick question. Oh, sorry. No. I was kind of cutting out there. Um, uh, it, so I, I would imagine that a lot of people get introduced to your blogs through uh, – or your sites, I guess, through um, – you know, sharing. Somebody sees something funny, passes along. You, you know, so it's probably a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of social media growth. A lot of people posting things on Facebook and and spreading it around. Do you also find that people will uh, sort of lock on to a site or two, and in terms of the uploading content and and commenting, that there will be a group maybe of people who more or less dedicate themselves as sort of a, a micro community within a, a specific site. Uh, absolutely. Okay. So we, you know, there's obviously a bunch of different user types. There's people who look at all a bunch of sites every day, and there's people who come once in a while, uh, and then there are people who are are you know their given site is their home, and there are people there who they effectively hang out with in the comments every day, and uh, right. we see that if you if you spend a lot of time in the comments, you start to see a lot of the same names over and over again. You actually start to see occasionally conversations between people in the comments that are completely unrelated to the post. Uh, you know, hey, Joe, <laughs> heard you got a new job, you know. I mean, it's kind of a little peculiar. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's absolutely uh, real uh, core communities or power users um, who are very dedicated to the site. Um, they're not always the people who contribute the most. They're just the people who come there every day and who, you know, vote for what they want and uh, who feel uh, part of a family or a community because they are there with other people who like the same kind of stuff that they like. You you mentioned earlier the the, the word cruel uh, in in one of your sites, and I, uh, that that it can get a little cruel. And I think when we're talking ab 
uh, you know, to our listeners who are also actively working to build community, I think that tends to be one of the biggest fears. When you, when you invite user-generated content into your communications flow, you risk, you risk it turning cruel. Uh, how do you deal with this at Cheeseburger and your sites, particularly in a, you know, when this gestalt ha of, of humor tends to get lost in laughing at you rather than laughing with you? All of our content goes through sort of a four-phase process. It's submitted by the users um, in the community, and then it gets screened by someone here, by a human, uh, simply for appropriateness. So I, in a nutshell, nudity, violence, racism, that type mm -hmm. of thing. Uh, but not for quality or humor or anything like that. Just is this okay to have on our, any of our sites? I like to say our sites are family friendly. Um, they're probably a little more like PG-13. Um, <laughs> and so anyhow, all the content gets screened, and then it gets uh, goes out into our voting system where the community can vote on what they like. And content can be flagged. Uh, typically, our systems, if it's flagged, flagged for offensiveness or inappropriateness, something like that, um, if something slips through, uh, flagging it just once pulls it out of the system and it goes into a queue where someone can take a look at it. Uh, just decide if it really is inappropriate or if it's just somebody who didn't like it. Uh, and then uh, sort of our voting machine spits out the winners every day, so to speak. Uh, and then as a last sort of phase, our moderators go through um, and effectively curate what they're going to put back on the site for the next day. Uh, the way I describe that is the best example I can give, and I hope that I'm not rubbing any politics the wrong way, is during the election, we have a political site called Pundit Kitchen, a news and politics site, and there were a lot of Sarah Palin jokes. And mm -hmm. if you're running a publication, you might want to put Sarah Palin joke or two every day, but you don't want, of the 10 things you're posting every day, you don't want nine of them to be about Sarah Palin. <laughs> so uh, we'll do a little bit of sort of moderation and curation at that last moment. And so to your question, which is between, um, between the initial screening between users flagging things to have it pulled out of um, the system, between users voting stuff down if they don't like it, and then between the moderators taking one final look at stuff. Um, a lot of the really inappropriate stuff, the cruel stuff, the stuff that just you know it is wrong uh, gets screened out. Obviously, we were talking a minute ago about uh, core communities, and they do a lot of policing. They have a you know they have a lot of influence over what goes back out on their site, and um, you know and then of course sometimes we make mistakes. And we put something out there and people don't like it. And they say so in the comments. They say this was inappropriate or this was not nice. or And we learn from those things. And um, sometimes we'll take it down. More often than not, what we'll do is we'll um, replace the picture on the homepage with sort of a, a placeholder um, and put a message there sort of describing what happened. And that if you want to see the picture, you can click through to see it. Um, mm -hmm. And if you, if you don't, then don't. Um, and, you know, we're not, we're not like everybody, you know, we're not perfect. And sometimes stuff does get through that the community doesn't think is great. But that, but that initial pass is a hundred percent human or is it human plus a little software override for the, for the initial filter? Um, it's a hundred percent. Well, there's a little bit of software that's looking just if the picture is big enough. If somebody submits, you know, a picture that's a hundred by a hundred pixels, I think that uh -huh. filters automatically, but I uh, know gotcha. it's, it's 100% human, and we've tried all sorts of things. We've tried to outsource it overseas, and that didn't work. Um, we've tried to automate it a little bit, and it didn't work. It's just we found the easiest, most effective way is just to have people look at them. And, uh, you know, you can look through – you think it's a lot of pictures, but you can look through 100 or 200 pictures pretty quick 
We have a moderation tool that allows them to just sort of click yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Um, actually, I think they all start out at yes, and they just have to click no or vice versa. So it goes pretty quick. And when you're yeah. looking at a lot of this all day, you sort of just, you're really only looking for the things that like, ooh, that's bad. We can't have that in there, right? Um, mm -hmm. So you can cruise through them pretty quickly. So, so as you build these internal communities or these kind of, uh, you know, micro communities of, of sort of dedicated people to specific sites, um, I'm wondering if this has ever come up. I've, there's a blog that I read quite a bit, um, uh, Video Gum, that did something recently that I just thought would be a disaster, and I cr and I thought it crossed this weird virtual line, um, but it seems to have, have been pretty successful. And that is, they did an they had an offline meeting. So you know they. There's sort of one moderator of that blog, and then there's all, a whole bunch of contributors, a whole bunch of people that comment and post. And a lot of them are in the New York area, so they've been having these pizza parties and and then putting pictures of them. And I just thought that's something that would be – it just seemed to me like that was a real risk. I've never heard of that before. Um, you know, these people all know each other only virtually, and then they're throwing these parties. Is that anything you guys have considered maybe there in the Seattle, Seattle area? Um Sort of. We've done some similar things. Um, so most of our moderators are actually here working in Seattle. We do have a handful that work remotely in different places around the country just because that's where they live. Um, we do events uh, just with the community periodically. Um, we actually have a fun one coming up, if I can do a little shameless plug. Of course. Uh, January, I think it's June 3rd. I have to double check now. It's, we're having cheeseburger night at the Mariners. Um, cool. So we did it last year. Let me just look. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up while we're talking here. Um, uh, cheeseburger night at the Mariners. Uh, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it's June 3rd. It's uh, obviously at uh, yeah, Thursday, June 3rd. It's at Safeco Field in Seattle, and tickets I think are 20 bucks. And uh, people who come get a Happy Cat bobblehead doll, and oh, <laughs> tickets are 15 bucks. And um, and I think tickets are on sale now. And so we did this last year. We had a lot of people come. I was really surprised. We had almost 1,200 people <laughs> join us there. Uh, wow. Was, oh, my gosh. This was really terrific. It was totally huge. Um, when we wow. first announced this, I thought, oh, this will be neat. We know that the company's going to go to the game, and, you know, 10 or 15 other you know, real hardcore fans are going to come with us. And, you know, there'll, there'll, be like, there'll be like, you know, 25 people and maybe 40 of some wives and kids will come and husbands and kids. And, and I was just, like, completely blown away. Um, when I found after like a couple of weeks, I found out they were having uh, there were 700 people had signed up, and I was like, "Are you kidding me? This is ridiculous." So we do some stuff like that. We've had some sort of happy hour type things. We did a happy hour for Fail Blog once in the Seattle area. Um, when we launched when we launch books, um, we tend to do sort of book launch type things. We actually have a book coming out uh, next week on April 20th. We have our our dog book. Our I has a hot dog has its first book coming out, um, wow. and. So sometimes we do sort of book launch type parties, um, and so we do we do some things like that where it's a two way street. The community gets to know some of the people who are here, and likewise, um, you know, the people who work here get to talk to some of the folks in the community. And then you, uh, the last, oh, I was going to say the last piece is it also sort of happens on one on one casually. I was going to New York a few weeks ago, and this actually wasn't a few weeks ago; it was in the fall. Now that I think about it. Um, and I tweeted out that I was going to go there, and someone said, hey, I'd, you know, I'd love to meet with you. I'm a big fan of the site. And so I went and had lunch with a woman oh, cool. there. She, uh, she was actually in New York on work for, from Louisiana, so it was kind of a random thing. And it was just fun to get to sit down and talk with someone who's a huge fan of what we do. 
Yeah, that is it's just absolutely fascinating to me. It's, and I'm really fascinated by that number that, that showed up for the game and that that's continuing because, you know, I mean, it's 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 so interesting because, again, my initial thought is, is um, you know, well, we have our we have our life over here and then we have our online life <clears throat> and that's where we're anonymous and it's kind of virtual. And and it just sort of seems like, you know, the lines don't cross very often. But um, I, this is uh, I, I've just kind of noticed lately that that these things are happening and it's of course you know there's all there's just that innate desire to connect uh and i think a lot of us you know the three of us for instance all work virtually don't have offices don't have you know co-workers per se and uh and uh, i think it's part of the reason really that we do this show there's you know that that networking and that connection but um that, that these sites and these sort of online communities can be the genesis for you know, friendships and, and uh, uh, offline meetings and, and parties and that sort of thing. It's really fascinating to me, kind of just on a social level. I so agree cool. with you. I think that, you know, that IRL in real life still exists, you know? Right, right. <laughs> From a marketing perspective, I think it comes back to this, ex doing whatever it takes to extend the value of, of the brand. And, and uh, you know, there's an awful lot of value in, in what you guys do, making people feel good. I mean, it gets back to that, you know, having the systems in place to keep it from moving cruel, but but really making people feel good. I, I, I wonder if we could take just a bit of a turn as we kind of wrap up here and, and have you talk a little bit about the infrastructure that you guys have set up over there. I mean, I, uh, for, for marketing folks who are struggling to find a way to build community and to react quickly, uh, boy, you guys have really uh, have really set a standard for reacting quickly. How, how do you do it technically? Uh, that's a great question. Um, the answer to it is twofold. Uh, the first is we sort of use a lot of off-the-shelf software. So as much as we can, we try and stitch together other systems and services that are available to us um, for um, sometimes, you know, sometimes for free, but sometimes we actually have to pay more than if we did it on our own. The point being um, not spending a lot of time building our own stuff, but sort of building a fabric of things that already exist. So that's one piece. And related to that, I should mention as a sub-piece of it is what that means is accepting two things. First is accepting a little bit of imperfection. Um, the solution that you create might not be exactly perfect um, or exactly as beautiful as you had hoped, which lots of times for um, people in the marketing and branding world is a little bit challenging to accept. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the second piece is accepting a little bit of messiness, which is um, which kind of goes with it is that sometimes these things don't stitch together perfectly. And uh, so what you're really making is a trade-off between progress and perfection. And so I actually used to write a blog. I still write a blog, but the blog that I used to write was called Progress Versus Perfection. And um, you know, it's just a trade-off. And in, in our business, we want to be nimble and we want to be responsive. And we don't have, you know, hundreds or millions of dollars of venture capital money to throw at problems. So we choose to take a strategy, which is do things as cheaply as possible and as where we are stitching together third-party solutions as much as possible. And that gives us the flexibility that we want. So that's the first piece. Um, the second piece, and now, of course, I've lost my train of thought. But uh, uh, so that's the first piece is we um, is we stitch together a lot of things. I guess the second piece is we rely on a lot of partners. So we have a great partnership with WordPress, 
Um, they do a lot of our hosting for us, and we really rely on Word, the WordPress community software. So WordPress.com does hosting for us, and WordPress.org, we rely on their software. Um, and other partners as well. Uh, we really find that we try and stay focused on what we can do, which is um, generate content and moderate content and create new sites and things like that, and see if we can find other partners that help us do the other things, which is... Um, I say this all the time, if it weren't for some of our partners, we wouldn't be in this business because they gave us the support and help we needed to get us along when we were getting started. Um, that if we did it, if we tried to do it all on our own, we would have never made it. And other places I've worked in the past, other startups I've worked at has the sort of, you know, if it wasn't built here, it isn't good enough kind of philosophy. And at least, especially for a startup, but I, I think it applies to all businesses that can be a hindrance because it's just a, it's an anchor on that progress versus perfection balance. Um, so we've really embraced working with other people here as well. And, and just as a, as a punctuation of that point, how long does it take you from the moment you guys decide we're going to launch a new site around this content? How long does it take you to execute and have a site live? Uh, that's, that's, I'm going to answer that question after I give a little explanation of it. So one of the places we have invested a lot of our own time and energy is making that pretty inexpensive. Um, it, when we first started, it would take us, say, four or six or eight weeks to get a site up. And we spent about a year trying to work with the different technology to push that cost down. And so practically speaking, it takes us a couple of days just because there's graphic artwork that has to be done, you know, logo mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, but from a just, you know, the technical, like if you want to click, click, click and get it going, um, it could be it can be done in less than a day. Um, wow. But there you know, that's just from the purely, if I, if I had everything, you know, organized and ready to go and was racing through it, it would happen in less than a day. Um, simply because we've automated a lot of the processes for getting things set up. We've built sort of uh, templated type tools for our moderation team so they can launch sites without having to get the technical team involved very much. And, um, you know, there's trade-offs to that. One trade-off is a lot of our sites look very similar. Actually, we've, we've embraced that from a business strategy is that we want them to look similar so that people know when they're looking at a cheeseburger site, they're looking at a cheeseburger site. Mm -hmm. uh, as, a, as a side note, we, an anecdote, we had somebody comment to me, hey, I see you guys bought such and such a site. Oh, they never and knew. They never knew. It was our site all along. <laughs> but so um, that's actually, as a branding perspective, that's one of the things we have sort of embraced. Um, so we we spent about most of 2009 working on bringing that cost down from, you know, practically speaking like a month or two to practically speaking a couple of days, so that we can really get them out there inexpensively. Fascinating. And, uh, you, you know, this uh, the, the Wired uh, magazine article in in January, which really was a, a really interesting article about uh, your company. Um, one of the things I really got or pulled out of that was uh, towards the end where it talks about. Uh, about your CEO, Ben Hahn, it, it, it's um, commenting that he's sitting just outside his windowless former server closet he now calls his office, not the most august perch for a CEO. But but it goes on to say that basically some lessons had been learned during the initial internet you know, revolution, I guess, where a lot of startups were um, kind of depending on their venture capital and endless, you know, um, money and, and getting ahead of themselves with, with build outs and, and, you know, more employees than they needed and nice offices and all that kind of stuff. So it sounds like, and I think not just your company, but probably quite a few um, have learned some real lessons uh, about 
uh, how to how to really be move towards profitability and and be able to do I don't know about more with less, but um, you know, really, really exist as a thriving business without too much reliance on venture capital. Yeah, that's right. We've been profitable every month since we started. Um, wow, that's really impressive. Which has been great. And you know, something I've started saying recently, it was an observation I made to myself over the winter, which is something different about this startup. This is about the sixth, the sixth startup that I've done. And something that was different about this one than every previous one was when we started, well, let me phrase it differently. When you start a startup, you think you're going to be hugely successful and take over the world. But when your startup starts and it's a silly cat site, you, <laughs> you have a lot more skepticism. <laughs> and uh, so we started from a position of saying, hey, every decision we make is really, really critical because this, you know, this could totally just blow up and disappear tomorrow, um, as opposed to say, um, you know, some of the other startups we did where we were well financed and we had an idea that was a big market and lots of people had validated this and, you know, we had all sorts of notions that we were going to succeed and haven't, you know, weren't necessarily successful. So I think starting from the position we did inadvertently provided us a a mindset, you know, context that resulted in being more successful because we were really more cognizant of like, hey, we have to pay attention to succeeding here. We can't waste our resources and our precious resources on doing things that are sort of stupid. If, uh, if cool. people on the podcast want to see what our offices are like, there's a video on YouTube. If you just go to Google and search for or Bing, wherever your favorite search engine is, uh, <laughs> and search for, uh, behind, look, search for behind the scenes at fail blog. Uh, about a year ago, maybe nine months ago, Ben filmed a little four-minute video of the office and some of the people here and how things work. It's a little bit dated, but um, it gives you a sense for how we work. We don't work in very glamorous conditions by any means, like you were saying. We sublet some space in a nondescript office building in Seattle and work like a startup. That's, I think it's, it's all, fa fascinating and fabulous. It's all about That's the great. funny. It's all about the funny. Uh, Scott, uh, this is uh, this has been a great conversation. I, I truly appreciate you joining us as we uh, wrap up. Where can people find you? Where would you like people to find you? Uh, well, you can find me. The easiest place to find me where I always say I live online is at scottporad.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-P-O-R-A-D.com. And, of course, you said earlier you can find all of our funny at cheeseburger.com, which is C-H-E-E-Z-B-U-R-G-E-R.com. And uh, a, a pre-congratulations uh, on you and on the Cheeseburger Network for the Seattle 2.0 uh, nomination for Best Startup for the Cheeseburger Network. And for you, the Best Startup Technologist, you're doing something right. That's yes, awesome. well, you know, I have to say I'm, I know almost everybody else who was nominated in that category, and I'm totally flattered to be in that group but I'd be totally psyched to win. So if I can encourage the hundreds of thousands <laughs> of people listening to this podcast to go to Seattle Seattle Seattle20.com and vote for me for best technologist and vote for cheeseburger for best startup, I'd be immensely grateful. Uh, the, the throngs, the minions that listen to this podcast we're, they are on the way. We, we got your back <laughs> on this one. Thank, thank you so much for your time today, Scott. Thank, you're, God. You're, thank you. Thank you very Cheers. much, Scott. <laughs> I think it's a sign of the times, and one of the lessons that we can take out of that conversation is that, you know, here is a chief technology officer who is uh, 
truly and intimately involved in so many areas of the business and that part of that is the you know is the nature of of a startup but part of it is is a nature of you know how integrated technology and the communication platform really are well i think the thing that one of the things i was most impressed with was the fact um you know one of his last comments about um you know we stitch together things that other people have done well and it may not be perfect and you know, we've sort of had to come to accept that um, as part of our business model. Um, it, it, I mean, it just seems like they're specializing in what they need to be specializing in versus um, his comment that many startups feel like if it's not done here, it's not our work. Um, and I just think that really um, is a huge message for startups. Um, and and I, would, I would definitely encourage anybody who uh, uh, has any interest to, to check out that Wired Magazine article in <clears throat> the January issue uh, about the company. Um, there were a number of things that came up on that conversation that really have me thinking you know, about where things are heading. I, I mean, one of them is the fact that these you know, little uh, online communities can spill over into um, uh, real sort of offline engagement. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of that, though, Pete um, – you had mentioned after he said it that it's kind of a that's smart business you, you know so we can we can say that well this is it's also social and just sort of it's organic and and if it's meant to happen it will but on another level it's really um you know let's say an internet business or a business that really is is relying uh living in a virtual space and relying on uh you know all all things internet related to drive the business and increase the the, the traffic and sometimes uh, I think companies can get either very myopic that way or, or, or maybe even just a little lazy um, that they aren't doing things that a traditional company might do that, um, you know, things that really don't, that, that pull you out of that virtual space and say, hey, wait a minute, um, you know, we need to brand ourselves. We need to connect this community. We, you know, one of the things we can do to, to keep this um, vital uh, is, is, to reinforce, you know, this relationship uh, in a real way. So it's, it's just playing great business. And, uh, you know, that, some of the stuff that these guys are doing, you know, the way that they're using off-the-shelf software, the way that they're profitable from month one, the way that the chief technology guy knows really everything about the business, uh, I think these are, you know, this is kind of the way business is moving, a, a lot of those little points. Well, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, I, I think it works sort of like this, right? The, the first time you get a community that kind of builds itself, it's lucky and organic. But by the third time, it's calculated. Somebody is, is learning the lessons of their, of, uh, of their experience and is calculating a, a, a way to build a community. And that, I think what Cheeseburger has shown is that, you know, online or off, as it continues to evolve, is that, um, you know, uh, trial uh, and testing uh, will yield success, and that goes back to something we talk about repeatedly, which is this this idea that you know you test for results even in new media, even in these new tools that are continuing to evolve all around you. You continue to test, you continue to to see you know what works, and then you replicate. Can, how much of your success can you replicate? It's just like you know print measurement. It's just like early banner measurement. It's just like outdoor measurement. How much can you test and replicate? Well, and I think on a final note before we move on to tools, um, you know, exactly to your point of measuring, it's. It, it, I think part of the charm of the Cheeseburger Network is the fact that, um, you know, it seems like a 
silly, kitschy kind of site where people are posting pictures of their cats that are funny. Um, you know, and that's sort of what drives it is this great community of people. And behind the scenes, they're doing a heck of a lot of work to make sure that, you know, the people are seeing what they want to be seeing. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, that's the that's the golden ticket that they've been able to, to accomplish. So, um, you know, communities can come up organically, but somebody has to moderate them and, um, you know, be paying attention to them because uh, otherwise they don't. They don't sustain, even if they are a huge groundswell. So, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Um, I, I still I, I don't know how they get anything done. I mean, I, I sort of imagine <laughs> that like I, I wonder if any of those guys really honestly find anything funny anymore. Like oh, they have on. totally they have seen to. it all. Right. No, they have not at all. You think so? Not at all. No, they have to think it's funny. I hope not. That would ruin the mystique. I need there, there needs to be some of that. <laughs> I think that's funny. a weird. I'm trying to figure out where the, you're coming from with that one, Pete. Funny's funny. Yeah, you can't have sick of funny. Yeah, you know what though? But you saw there was a, what was it that legendary uh, Friends episode? Uh, the obstetrician who never has sex with his wife. Uh, yeah, let's not go there, dude. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> no, there's that's, a that's also weird. That's two like, weird things. Funny's funny, but seriously, sex is sex. Am I right? Okay, Massage here's the therapists thing. don't like, generally speaking, to give massages for not money, right? That's right. Okay, I, okay no, how about this? I I think in this case, if you are the moderator for I, I can has cheeseburger the cat or the cat um, fail blog no like the cat for example okay. I could see you getting sick of cats like you if you're the moderator just for that network I could see you getting sick of cats but okay. not about funny things I like don't know all right, what I think right. You're the moderator if it makes you laugh <laughs> it's good well, they're doing a hell of a job. Uh, it is fantastic. I'm, I'm going to spend pretty much the day on the site. But we have another funny for our tool, which uh, interesting. Uh, this that, isn't really a tool, but we're just going to call it a tool. But, but it is a tool <laughs> in another sense. These are, this is uh, uh, just, it's called Stupid Fight by uh, uh, the soon-to-be legendary TomScott.com uh, slash Stupid Fight. We'll put the link in the show notes feed. Uh, it is, well, here, here's what he says on the site. Fact, a lot of people on Twitter are stupid. Many of these people follow celebrities and try to send them messages. But which celebrities fans are most stupid? It's time to find out. Uh, a stupid fight can't go out and administer an intelligence test to each person that's sending messages to a celebrity. So instead, it estimates based on several stupid indicators. Are they using 20 exclamation marks in a row? Do they endlessly use the abbreviation OMG? Do they seem incapable of working out where their shift key is? These indicators have a strong correlation with the message and its sender being stupid. So you go to Stupid Fight and you enter in two celebrity names and click battle and you can see whose celebrities are most stupid. And it's it's uh, you know, it's funny. Well, and I think there's there is obviously a degree of um, stupidity because it's a continuum because I put in two people that I follow and, you know, one came out a little, th their followers came out a little bit stupider than the other, but they were both sort of in the smart as a whip category, whereas I just put in John C. Mayer versus Kim Kardashian. Yeah. And Kim Kardashian's fans are, like, off the chart, dumb as a bag of hammer. Is that what it says? Dumb, dumb as a bag of hammers? Like, 773. Right. So, 
well, well it's obviously to, very subjective and it's you know th those are yes, those are is. real subjective it's only just for fun but what's great is that uh like when you do one, I did one that was sort of preloaded on here, Glenn Beck versus Rachel Maddow, and it'll pull up example tweets. Right. Uh, so one of Glenn Beck's fans says, I'm with you most of the way, if not all. Love you loving us. Tie for your layman terms of your views on what WT oh. is happening to number two. Oh. Us and our country, <laughs> C-U-N-T-R-Y. Oh. Probably my favorite misspelling. That's, That's brilliant. Yeah. Well, I, I just did another one of the suggestion ones, which is Stephen Fry, the uh, legendary humorist, uh, British humorist, uh, and Kim Kardashian. <laughs> and she is off well, the charts. You know, that's interesting, though, because I did somebody else against Kim Kardashian, and she came up as 773. And if you put her against Stephen Fry, she's now 794. So it's not a perfect tool, folks, but you'll no. have a lot of fun with this yeah. one. It's we don't need to. We don't need to. It to, is hysterical. You, you will know. lose. I, I think you'll lose. We should measure all these sites with an, with how much time you'll lose. How much lose. time lost? I think metric. you'll lose about two minutes on this site, <laughs> and it'll be worth exactly two minutes. Exactly. Like you, won't, you won't regret the two minutes lost, and you won't probably think it's like Chinese food. You won't really think about it after you leave the restaurant. Awesome. So that's what we have uh, for the tool of the day, keeping it, uh, keeping it on the funny. I got nothing else. Me neither. Great Check out this tight show, you guys. I don't think we've oh. done a show that's uh, this close to time in uh, weeks. <laughs> well done. Uh, Dane Christensen, where do people find you? Please find me at strike10media.com. Um, that's where I'd like you to find me. That's it? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to leave it right there. Thank you. You're not even going to do Thank Twitter? You very much. Good night. You do Twitter every week. We do Twitter if, if every I had, I know, but if I had if I had tweeted in the last couple of days, I would. <laughs> no, seriously, that's why we do this, because it's peer pressure for you. That's why, right, Dane. You need to tweet I'm more. at Alta Dane. Alta <laughs> Dane. The resort and the dog put together. Oh, oh I see, never there's knew a, that. There's a system. All right, Megan Strand, where do we find you? I am on Twitter, and I do tweet, Dane. Often. At Megan Strand. Um, my website is encouraged.com, and that's I-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E-D. And you can find me at Pete Wright on the Twitter and at fifthandmain.com for the blog, the links list, and everything else. Of course, the show is at thenakedmarketers.com. We have the new show notes uh, feed where you we're posting links to everything is uh, that that'll show up in the in the feed. You can go look at our show notes there for everything we've talked about on the show. You can follow us at Naked Markets on Twitter, uh, which is essentially just a uh, repost of those uh, feed items and of course listen to the show online but we would really love it really really if you'd go over to itunes and uh, and subscribe to the show there you can find a link to the itunes um, uh, entry for the naked marketers on the naked marketers.com uh, and and write us a review if you like the show we could help the review it helps other people find uh, our show and listen to us so uh, write a positive review for us share some words if you've learned anything if you uh, if you've implemented any of the tools that we've recommended we sure would love to see a review in iTunes uh, talking about it thank you in advance for your support and I think that's all we have so on behalf of Dane on behalf of Megan I'm Pete Wright and this has been another Naked Marketers